Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Bible and thank you that it is your word to us. It teaches us in different ways how to live your way. And we pray this morning that we would grow in our understanding of resilience as for those who follow you in the challenges of this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you discovered already that, that, that if you haven't got your Bible passage on a phone or a Bible, that it's on the back of the service sheets as you came in. So hope that's a helpful little guide uh, for you. On the 29th of October, 1941, Winston Churchill gave a speech at his old school to the boys of Harrow School. The speech contained these now famous words. This is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never Never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honour and good sense. Well, over these summer Sundays, we've been looking at another public figure from history, Nehemiah, who showed the same sort of resilience in achieving the goal of rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Despite many attempts to stop him, Nehemiah never gave in. Resilience used to be a word primarily used by engineers to describe the characteristics of a material, the ability of a substance to spring back into shape after being exposed to external forces is called its resilience. But now resilience is applied to people as well. It's a commonly used word to describe an individual's ability to keep going under pressure, to bounce back when under attack, not to buckle or to crack or to break, but to keep going. And we all need resilience in our lives. Chapter 6 begins with an update of where the rebuilding has got to. We read in verse 1 that the, ball, the wall has been rebuilt, but the gates are not yet in place. So the mission is almost complete this is the last opportunity for the surrounding nations to stop the city becoming fully secure and more able to stand up to their threats. Back in chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how various efforts were made to frighten the builders to abandon the work. But now in this chapter, chapter 6, the tactic is to go for the leader, to neutralize, if they can, Nehemiah himself and take this key piece off the board. Attempts are made to distract Nehemiah away from the work and to damage his reputation. And the way that Nehemiah deals with these attempts to remove him still shows us today what a resilient servant of God looks like. And if you're a follower of Christ, as I know many of us here are, you also are a servant of God. And there will be times when we too need resilience maybe from being out in the world in our work life or home life or in church life. There'll be times when we too need resilience. And chapter 6 describes three specific tactics used by Nehemiah's enemies to try and bring him down. There were constant distractions, false accusations, and outright intimidation. So let's look at each of these in turn. Let's look, first of all, at Nehemiah's resilience in the face of constant distraction. Verse 2, we read, Sambalet and uh, Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. 
Verse 4, four times they sent me the same message. Nehemiah, we want to meet you. We've heard so much about you. We've got so much to discuss with you. Let's meet on neutral ground on the plains of Ono. No to the plains of Ono? Look, you've worked so hard, Nehemiah. Surely it's time for a break. A little country retreat would do you the power of good. It's really lovely there in Ono this time of year. We're inviting you to the top table, to the G4. You know, it's not a privilege we offer everyone. You should be biting our hands off to come. No? Nehemiah, you're being unreasonable. We need to meet you. Actually, we've got concern, some concerns we need to air with you. We've got some questions that need answering. What are your intentions with this city rebuilding project? No? No? We won't take no for an answer. We're beginning to doubt your motives, Nehemiah. We need you to set the record straight in our presence. When we said this was an invitation, actually, this is a final demand. No? That's it. You'll regret saying no to us. Well, who knows quite how the conversation went. But as the work's neared completion, Nehemiah faces these constant distractions. They must have taken up not just his time, but sapped his mental resolve, his strength. Perhaps he should make time and postpone the work. Perhaps he was being a bit unreasonable, a bit narrow-minded. But Nehemiah knew what lay at the heart of all these invitations. They were scheming to harm me, he writes. The journey from Jerusalem to the plains of Ono were about, was about 35, 40 miles. Plenty of opportunity to ambush Nehemiah and kill or capture him along the way. The only desire of his enemies was to trick Nehemiah into leaving Jerusalem and attack him when he was vulnerable. So how does Nehemiah deal with these constant distractions? Well, verse 3, we read Nehemiah saying, I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should I stop the work in order to come down to visit you? Four times they sent me the same message, and four times I gave them the same answer, he writes. Nehemiah deals with these distractions by recalling why he was in Jerusalem in the first place. That his overriding priority was the great task that God had laid upon his heart to be a kingdom builder. And he would not be distracted or diverted from it. And having that clear vision helped him to know what invitations to say yes to, and what to say no to. He saw behind this innocent-sounding invitation, this trap being laid for him to distract him away from his calling. And as such, Nehemiah showed great wisdom, but also resilience. In uh, San Francisco in the um, late to mid-1800s, um, the American evangelist D.L. Moody was about to begin a citywide mission when a professional photographer called George Ryman, offered to take Moody's photograph with the newfangled invention called the camera. And he wanted to add Moody to his collections of actors and politicians and other notable Americans. And Moody wrote, Moody wrote back, declining the offer with thanks, saying that he'd not come to San Francisco to have his photograph taken, but to save Ryman's soul. Well, this infuriated Ryman, but out of curiosity, Ryman came with his wife to the last day of the mission. And after Moody's talk, uh, the audience were given the offer of a further after meeting. And Ryman said to his wife, 
Well, we've seen the circus. We might as well go to the sideshow. But it was at that sideshow, it was at this after meeting that Ryman and his wife chatted to, with some Christians who explained the gospel again to them and led them to Christ. And over the next few years, Ryman became a leading preacher across the Pacific states. Moody's original response to Ryman is a wonderful example of not getting distracted and fixing your sights on what's the most important, of building the kingdom of God one heart at a time. And the church today needs that same resilience. Satan often whispers in our ear, you've done okay, you can relax a little, there's no need to be a fanatic, look at these lovely diversions and entertainments the modern world gives us. Don't need to just stop worrying about people's souls and get on the bandwagon of what people are really concerned about. And Nehemiah's answer is to remember his calling. How did he change from butlering to building the kingdom? Because that's what God had called him to do. And nothing would distract him from it. For him, it was particularly involved in this building project. But it's worth asking, what is God calling us to do today? And have I been distracted from it recently? The first calling that we all receive from God is to that call upon our hearts to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is, the Bible talks about a calling to either singleness or marriage and the task of parenting our, our children or grandchildren that we might be given in the knowledge and love of God. And we can easily get distracted from that. And then there's the call to use our gifts to build up the church in teaching the faith, to, in all that's involved in creating Sunday worship, the caring of others, the serving of the poor, to be in some shape or form a kingdom builder. And COVID hasn't it? it's been a huge distraction to that task of building the kingdom of God in one heart at a time. But let's learn from Nehemiah some resilience of being able to say, this is my focus. This is what God has called me to do. It's easy to be distracted when people say, well, we'd love to meet you on, a, on this, this, this Sunday. And, whatever, and, and it's so easy to sort of say, well, I can be distracted. I wonder if we've got the courage, the resilience to say, do you know, I can't come to your house on Sunday morning because I'm committed to building up the church of Jesus Christ. And I can't do that if I'm not there but I'd love to come at another time. See, Nehemiah shows us some resilience when facing constant distractions to that calling that God places upon our lives to put eternal matters first, to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that's our first point this morning. The second point is that Nehemiah shows resilience when falsely accused. Verse five, then the fifth time, Sambalet sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, it is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore that's why you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. So now come, let us meet together. So here is Sambalet's the rule of Samaria to the north's accusation. People are saying important people like Geshem, the ruler to the south, confirm the rumor. I've seen it on Twitter. It's on the Your Cheshire Facebook page. Today, that would be an equivalent of, of an open letter, I suppose, then. 
that Nehemiah, you're planning to rebel. Nehemiah stands falsely accused. And the tactic, of course, still works well today. Whereas in the past, the pendulum was swung heavily in favor of trusting those in authority. Now it's swung very firmly in favor of those bringing the accusation. And if you've ever been falsely accused, you will know how exhausting it is. As your reputation is torn apart in front of you, and friends start to put perhaps some distance between you, and you wait for your name to be cleared. So how does Nehemiah respond to this horrible false accusation, one that could end up with his head on the block and all his work undone? Well, verse 8, I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Nehemiah responds on the basis of a clear conscience. Jonathan Lamb, one of the um, speakers at the Keswick Convention, puts it this way, the ability to live our lives with integrity is the only protection against this kind of slander. It is painful, isn't it, when people say things that are untrue about us. But Nehemiah knew his best defense was a clear conscience. But it doesn't mean that Nehemiah was unscathed by this attack. It clearly drained him. Because as well as resting on his conscience, he prays, Lord, now strengthen my hands. Lord, give me strength to trust you through this process. Give me the strength to keep on with the mission while the accusation does the rounds. Which is a wonderful example of spiritual resilience receiving from God that which we lack in order to keep on following him. It's the same sort of resilience we see in Christ himself as he set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing what they're ahead for him. The knowledge of that arrest and then the false trial and then the mocking and the beatings by the Roman guard and then the agonizing crucifixion and the resilience he showed through that. And that same power of resilience by his spirit that we can know with his help. So that's our second point this morning. Nehemiah showed resilience when firstly facing distractions and then also when falsely accused. And then thirdly, we see him showing resilience when tempted by others to hide away in fear. One day, he says, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. This time, the attack is much more subtle. It doesn't come from outside Jerusalem, but from within, not from the lips of an enemy, from a fellow countryman, from the lips of a prophet of God, no less. The assassins are on their way. They'll be here tonight. Come, let us hide in the safest place in Jerusalem, in the temple itself. You'll be safe there, Nehemiah. There's no time to lose. Come, we've got to leave now. Well, how would you respond with a threat on your life? A quick decision needed. What would you have done? Well, look at verse 11 and see what Nehemiah does. I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Hide away in fear. Not me, says Nehemiah. If I run, then what will that do to the morale of the builders? Will the city ever finally get its gates and be defended? I realize, writes Nehemiah, that God had not sent him. 
but that he had prophesied against me because, in fact, Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. And if I'd followed what he'd said, I would have committed a sin and it would have given me a bad name and discredited me. I think it was the suggestion of entering the temple that made Nehemiah suspicious. As a layman, he was forbidden to enter into the heart of the temple. There were areas only for priests that he was not to go in. And if he'd done such a thing, it would have been a sin in God's eyes, but also in the eyes of his fellow Jews. His reputation would have been tarnished, and he would have been asked to resign as governor, and his leadership would have come to an end. And Nehemiah shows resilience in the face of this very real threat when tempted to hide away in fear. He shows wisdom for seeing the warning for what it was, a trap to ruin him. And again, he prays. He goes to the Lord and prays, Lord, remember my God, my enemies, because of what they've tried to do. So how might this temptation to hide away apply to us here in Chesham? Well, perhaps the challenge here is to watch out for the temptation to hide away as Christians out of the spotlight in modern society, to compromise what we believe, to hide away in fear of what we might be asked or in fear of what we might become a victim of the growing cancel culture, to become in this increasingly secular culture secret believers, to hide away in our churches but have no impact on the world around us, to stop building the kingdom of God in this town through our churches and through their ministries, or to hide away at home ever fearful of what we might catch out in the wider world. Nehemiah's example, he's courageous, isn't he? He encourages us to stand our ground to be resilient, and whatever the dangers and the diseases out there, to keep on building the kingdom. And look at what can be achieved when God's servants are resilient. Verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days, less than two months. What an amazing feat. What a testament to what God people can achieve when we set our mind to it and when we work together. And in the end, it wasn't Nehemiah's and the the Jews who lost their confidence, but it was the surrounding nations, we read, who saw in this rebuilding not just human effort, but the hand of the living God. And if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, in the God of the Bible, I pray that you will have seen something too of the hand of God in these events. And that when we think of where Nehemiah got his resilience from, that it didn't come from within. It wasn't just a stoicism, just digging deeper. But actually, it was recognizing in his weakness that he needed God's strength. And he relied upon God to get him through those difficult times and to build his resilience, to stand firm in the face of constant distractions, to keep going when falsely accused, and to act courageously when tempted to hide away in fear. Well, may his resilience be encouraging to us in the week that lies ahead, whatever challenges we might face. Let's pray together. And on your little service sheets, you'll see that there's a, the colic for today, which seems particularly appropriate to sum up the sermon this morning. Let me pray it for us. 
O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, so that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not our hold on things eternal. Grant this, Heavenly Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.